Welcome to this Happy Times and Places omnibus in which I, Toby Haydock, have asked a friend of mine to choose a Doctor Who story and choose one of their favourite things about it per episode plus a bonus thing. I have to watch, accentuate the positive as I talk during the episodes and guess what my guest's favourite things are. Hi Toby, it's Derek here. Thank you so much for letting me participate in this. Although I'm normally a Star Trek fan, Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who, will always have a special place in my heart. And it's Tom Baker who is my doctor. I first saw him when he was first broadcast in America on WOR-TV in New York City in 1978. And me and my friends lapped it up. The adventures of him and Sarah Jane Smith and Harry Sullivan and the Brigadier just ate everything about it. So the following year, when I got a chance to go visit my grandparents in Belfast for a few weeks at Christmas time, and they were showing a serial from years ahead of when we were gonna see it in America, I ate it up. It was like looking into the future, appropriately enough. The serial was My Nightmare of Eden. And over the years, it's had a critical lambasting from fans and reviewers for various reasons. But I would like people just maybe to give it a second try. Well, hello, everybody. I'm a little bit behind. So, um... I was going to watch The Terror uh, on BBC iPlayer and I've got a couple of other things to catch up on as well. But I thought, nope, uh, I need to do a Doctor Who. So I, I've done, I mean, I don't tend to prep for these anyway, but at least I think about them as I'm approaching them. Right, right. what's the next one on my vague schedule? Uh, and it's Nightmare of Eden. Uh, as you have just heard uh, my friend Derek say, who I haven't seen for so many years. He lives not far away, but we just... Uh, guess we don't move in the same uh, orbit at the, uh, uh, and haven't done re uh, in, in recent years. Uh, so it's really nice to hear his voice. Uh, and I, I knew he was big on, on Star Trek and things, but I, I, I knew he knew his, his who. So I'm, uh, I'm very pleased that he responded um, to my uh, suggestion that he, uh, he take part in this. Uh, and he suggested Nightmare of Eden. So... Uh, we are going to... I've got the DVD uh, ready to play. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for the play all option. Um, when I can find the remote control, which I have attached to the DVD player. Um, we're going to press play in three, two, one. Uh, okay, so this is Nightmare of Eden, which, uh, is it Nightmare on Eden? I, <laughs> I, I, it's only playing around in my head because somebody on my Facebook today, when I, I can't remember what it was, uh, I, I said I couldn't remember something, and they said there's, there's three things. They don't know if the Sunmaker's one word or two, uh, whether it's Warriors of the Deep or Warriors from the Deep, or whether it's Nightmare of or on Eden. Uh, it's Nightmare of Eden by Bob Maker, not with Dave Martin. Um I remember this from my youth, so my journey with it, appropriately, uh, has been a slightly tempestuous one. It's a very early memory I have, and I remember. I remember being in bits of my house uh, and, and thinking of the Doctor Who that I'd I'd seen that week, and I, I very much remember the 
I remember these two. Uh, I remember Seca being being all cheerful and slightly dotty, and 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 then he you know gets uh, he gets fractious later on. Um, this is quite a good wheeze, isn't it? To have the uh, have the passengers all in these uh, having their heads covered and and wearing the funky glasses like they're in the video for video killed the radio star because it means later on when the doctor goes from cabin to cabin you can have the same same bunch of actors uh, <laughs> not have to uh, hire lots of different people. Um, so Nightmare of Eden, um, season seventeen, which was which is really my first is the first season I remember all of. Um, and then, of course, when I uh, I started encountering fans and fandom later on, season 17 was a dirty couple of words. Uh, and uh, it, it was the one it was, you know, fortunate to, as Derek put it, lambaste. Uh, uh, um, and I was quite surprised by this because this had been the who that had you know, lured me in. I have memories of the Invisible Enemy and some of the Key to Time stuff, but but this is this is I remember pretty much on a week by week basis. You know, I was I was watching Doctor every week and um, loving it. Um, and I remember David Dacre. He was a very familiar actor uh, to us, um, and was in Alan Bromley's previous Doctor Who and only other Doctor Who, the uh, the Time Warrior, uh, as and he plays Iron Gron in that. And I think he's he's great in that, and I think he's good in this. I remember this image, and what a brilliant wheeze this is, isn't it? What a what a great idea for a plot. I I, I I'm not a scientist, but I, I I buy the idea of a ship sort of, um, you know, materializing out of hyperspace or whatever, uh, and doing it at the same time as a, another ship, and the two of them sort of fusing together. Um, uh, and I think this is Richard Barnes as the crewman who I know an actor called Richard Barnes who had to change his name to Dick. He's called Richard Eaton or Dickie Eaton. Uh, uh, we, we waited together on tables together, but he had to change his name because he says there's another actor called Richard Barnes. I was like, yes, he's he's the he's a crewman in Nightmare of Eden. But he actually uh, he had a decent role. He plays Quincy in the BBC Philip Savile Dracula with Louis Jordan, Frank Finley. So he has a very good part in that. But um, uh now, Stephen Jen, uh, when we came to do the commentary of this, the commentary for this, we I'm on the DVD commentary of this DVD. Oh, how exciting. Uh, we really struggled to get people. And I'll, I'll go through the reasons why as we uh, go through it. So the, the Doctor and Romana uh, have landed aboard the TARDIS, um, uh, landed aboard uh, the, the, uh, the Empress. Uh, uh, and, and there's these... these sort of out-of-phase interfaces where the ships are sort of merged and sort of fused together in a, a sort of neverwhere, netherware, which is, I, I buy as a scientifically plausible idea, and it's a great setup for a story. Um, now, I, I suppose um, the story's bad. I remember Jeffrey Bateman. He's got very... It didn't seem like very 70s hair at the time. <laughs> Jeffrey Bateman as Dimond, and I just remember him as, the, you know, the, the guy on the other ship who had a silver suit a lot. Um, uh, he's, a, he's a fine actor. He lives in France now. That's why we couldn't get him. Um, although I don't, I don't know if he's that interested either. Um, he had a great late flourishing of his career because he was a regular in This Life. Um... Uh, which was a huge successful series here, um, starring Jack Davenport and Andrew Lincoln and Daniela Nardini, and uh, and he was their boss at the firm. So a good part, a good regular part in it. But uh, he lives and still works in France. Um, but um, 
I tried to get him to contribute to an article about the because uh, he'd, he'd replied to Ed Stradling, the producer, um, who, who desperately tried to make a documentary about Nightmare of Eden and failed because we couldn't get anybody. Um, so instead, we inter- just interviewed Mitch Mitchell and Bob Baker, I think. Mitch Mitchell, who does the visual, who does the video effects, but can Mitch can talk. He, if if he can tell you a story from beginning to end and to go everywhere else in between, he will. And I say that with great affection. I've had loads of really interesting chat. Well, I wouldn't say chat listens to Mitch. Mitch does not need anybody to join in. Uh, he's a great guy, great guy. So you know, very good value uh, when you're when you're doing a documentary and you're short of people. Um, uh, and I mean, I. So so yes so um, Jeffrey Bateman had had said I think you know thanks but no thanks so Ed had his email so I emailed him when Rodney Bennett died the director of Sontaran Experiment Mask of Mandragora Ark in Space um, to to write a tribute for Doc Two magazine but um, because they'd worked together on other things but I I never heard back um, he was he sent a very polite thing back to Ed but just said I I don't remember anything and it's not worth coming back from. France for I think lots of Doctor Who actors go and live in France. David Dacre, um, d- it just doesn't do interviews anymore, um, so we we couldn't get him. Um, Tom Baker, I think wasn't doing them at that point, or we couldn't afford him, or whatever. Um, I, I know Tom 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 was out of the question, but Stephen Jen, who plays Seca, um, was was sadly he he'd had a stroke very young and was was in a was in, in not a good uh, uh, condition in a. In a in a rest home, sadly, we did we discovered, um, I think, on the day of the recording. Oh, I was I was told that's why we'd not been able to track him down. But an interesting thing uh, that isn't on the commentary, but I think I am allowed to divulge because uh, I didn't on the commentary because um, I love this ga- ga- uh, ga- galactic. I, I like the character of Rig because he, he he's not daft and he and he does his you know he does his research uh, and and he's the sort of point of view character at the beginning which means for interesting stuff later on um so yes um joan stribling who we got for the commentary who's the makeup designer said uh, oh i had to make a wig for this because one of one of the actors um was bald um but she said she wouldn't say say which one but Stephen jen you can you, you know because he's in Ultra World, uh, the Blake Seven, which required three bald actors, uh, and he's in loads of other stuff. Uh, uh, and I think he had alopecia or something. Um, uh, and so he he is wearing a wig. Seca is wearing a wig, and it's a very good wig. Um, interesting. Now you just go let the actor be bald for goodness' sake. Um, uh, and his brother, because his brother is the actor Michael Jen, who is uh, uh, the guy in the cell in the Name of the Doctor. He's a very interesting, movementy sort of actor. He's in World War Z as World War Z. I can't call it that. Um, he does some of the zombie movement in that. I think um, he's a, he's a very interesting physical actor. Um, uh, so Michael and Stephen Jen are two people who've. Been, I'm, I think I'm right in saying he's he's his brother. Yes, you could. T- yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for that. Now here we of course have the fact the reason that Seca is starting to misbehave which i didn't understand as a a child at all having been jolly uh, uh, and 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 a bit woozy uh, and i suppose i probably thought he was drunk i'd probably get that he's um he's on drugs i'm sure i didn't realize this was about drugs when i was f- f- what four um uh, uh, <laughs> no i didn't um uh and i think stephen jen does the does the 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 transition from 
you know, high as a kite, uh, really edgy and, um, is it, is it, uh, uh, you know, b b being strung out and, and withdrawal. I was going to say jonesing, but I don't know if that, I don't know if that's the lingo. Um, but he's, he's strung out and he's, he's, he's on withdrawal symptoms. Which is very grown up. And I, I'm quite happy for Doc 2 to go there. And I actually think, again, it's a great concept for, uh, for, uh, story the whole drug element and the and the science behind the drugs and the revelation of what the drugs are i think is all great stuff but here we get to one of the reasons why this story has a bad reputation is that you have a fine uh sardonic australian actor lewis fyander um who decides to play trist um whose name is the giveaway as, as to what he's up to i think um uh a silly German Germanic accent, and he goes, "I'm in Doctor Who, so and I'm playing a scientist, so I will, uh, I'll play him like this, huh?" And nobody went, "Don't do that." Um, I mean, I mean, it's 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 not a bad performance, and it's not too silly a performance. I I remember not thinking he was a funny character when I was. Four, but I, I, I do think it's an unfortunate choice. I, I, I think during this period of the show, I think a lot of actors take a look at Tom Baker, and have an attitude towards Doctor Who, and go, "Oh, this is a chance to muck about a bit." You don't. I mean, I don't know if the world's any a better place now that there's so little work around for actors. You can't spend a month on a job and go. I'll dick about for this one. <laughs> I'll send myself a. I, I, I mean, unless you're an actor of great, great s s stature. But I, you know, I think. Well, I mean, I, I do know of one who, but they, 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 they cut cut round an actor in a in a more recent who who uh, who decided to ask about. Um, but Doctor Who's history has an illustrious history of actors coming in and and mucking about, and I think it takes a certain kind of actor to to get away with it and not even tom baker gets away with it all of the time and tom baker is a very funny mercurial otherworldly genius um but even he i mean genius i've worked with some genius comedians and they're not always on song because it sounds counterintuitive to say this genius does occasionally need to be sort of herded um or or kept in kept in check or or at least siphoned in the right direction and I think, um, you know, I'm not saying anything uh, that is unknown at this period that Graham Williams was perhaps not the firmest of producers and that gave Tom Baker a bit of a hand and that meant that he has moments, I think, of utter brilliance, even now. And there are moments of brilliance in this story. And he has the odd moment where it would have could have just done with somebody going, do you want to perhaps not do that? Um, but, of course, we we know that he didn't see eye to eye with Alan Bromley the director of this, who was very senior, he'd been a producer at the BBC, and and but was now in the sort of twilight of his career and was and was directing. Um, never quite got to the bottom of what what happened here. I mean, Lala Ward says that you know at one point he says is the director in the box or a conductor or something, and was quite waspish and and uh, and, and 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 I think that Alan Bromley didn't know how to handle. Tom Baker that's brilliant I love that Seca going into the mist with all the light it's it's quite strange it's quite unnerving uh and the fact that he's 
so sort of jolly uh, uh, about it, uh, you know, gives it a slightly creepy edge as well. I think there's so I you know I when when I this was quite late in my sort of collecting of bootlegs, if you like, partially because not many people had season seventeen stuff. Um, I know I don't know if anyone was in particular hurry to get it because I think because a lot of us remembered um, these stories. We wanted to get stuff that had been on before we were born, or certainly I did. So uh, I, I remember, and I remember when we got this, it was it had all the episode endings. It was all edited together, so you could get this and I think the Horns of Nymon onto one VHS. And I I don't I don't like it when the credits are cut off because I like reading the credits because I'm certifiable. Um, uh, and so so that's I remember that's where I, that's when I first revisited it. And having heard that it was you know it was awful and full of mistakes and fluffs and and. And ill-judged bits. I think there are a few, but but it's. Uh, I I think it's. Uh, and, and Horns of Nymon was the one that everybody really sort of laid into and 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 didn't like at all. I think it'll be interesting when we come to Horns because I, I find Horns quite entertaining. But I think this is much this is much better than the Horns of Nymon. I think it's better than Creature from the Pit. Um, I even might like it more than Destiny of the Daleks. Uh, uh, City of Death is obviously a, a, this this weird, strange, um, uh, uh, you know, brilliant shining beacon in the in the middle of a quite a wayward season. But I I find this thoroughly entertaining. Uh, I think it's got lots of good ideas in it. Um, I I like his glasses. This is a this is a bit this is a bit silly. Um, uh, and the way he he pulls the the face and goes he he died uh, I, I, I just just not a believable moment um, but there are other moments where I where I think he he gives quite an interesting performance but it, it I, I I'm not sure it's the correct choice and it's it's a shame because I've 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 heard interviews with Louis Fiander where he came, came comes across as a, a very sort of urbane and intelligent and as I say a slightly sardonic fellow and if he'd had all those qualities as Trist I think he actually would have been more interesting. Than, than the sort of mucking about. Um, but I still don't think it's... I still don't think it's terrible. Um, David Dacre, on the other hand, I think is excellent um, and, and and judges exactly how uh, to, to play it properly. And I so remember this. I remember the, the, the thing coming out and biting her on the neck and her collapsing. So this is where my memories start to become melded with my, my childhood. This is my... My Doctor Who and these these planets that there's that she's seeing Romana on the CET screen. Another idea. So there's three ideas at the core of this. You've got the the uh, you, you know the bit that captures bits of worlds. Um, the, the Eden bit is obviously a bit more like a studio than all of the other planets. The other the other planets. Uh, yes, I have captured a bit of the planet Eden and some more convincing planets. Uh, on if you twist the dial uh, to see some some planets that are slightly better rendered because they are uh, on film or stock footage. I think they they look like film models to me. Um, uh, oh oh, that's a great shot of Stott. Uh, an uncredited Barry Andrews in episode one. Um, uh, spoilers, everybody. Um, uh, Jennifer Lonsdale as Della. Um, uh, we couldn't find her. Uh, we, she since has been found. She's she's not the wife of the sheriff of Nottingham, but it's something like that. She's quite high up in 
in local government wherever it is she lives and she's quite posh uh and i know she signed things and and sent things to people but she's she's not done an interview we couldn't get hold of her for the commentary so we were really we were <laughs> that's why the dvd of nightmare of eden is quite sparse uh i hope uh if ever season 17 comes onto the the, the blu-ray range there's a, a few gaps can be plugged or a few attempts can be made to to have another bash um i thought we did well with the commentary we got uh, we got bob baker we got colin maps in the special effects we got joan stribbling the makeup uh lala ward um and peter craze for the last two episodes so we but but that was literally everybody we could get that's a uh, very good um uh scar makeup on Stephen jen there who's 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 given a good so single episode performance um and that's a great it's a great doctor who thing going into the smoke you hear a scream you drag him out he's got a scar on his face i'm loving this i think this is really t terrific uh stuff it's setting up the mystery um that these these spaceship corridors are quite big and bulky and open um which is what you want for this kind of sort of cruise liner it makes sense so what you lose in you know a oppressive atmosphere that you might have in a in a sort of smaller sort of creepier set i think uh i think it works for the action stuff later on and and the lighting in these uh um sort of cupboard scenes is uh, uh is is very good um and there's a great mystery going on here somebody's nixed the vraxo in uh i i think when i saw it written down uh stot again isn't it with his laser gun. and i like a laser effect uh when i oh and i yeah and i like the little circles that it does when it hits him um of course he's only stunned um i, I thought it was called Vra vraxoin uh and to, but of course it's vraxoin like heroin vraxoin heroin uh and i th i think it was at lana ward's insistence it was changed from being called zip which she thought was too funky a name and i think that was a good call and vraxoin is a is a good name um uh and I, I i like that that i i i sort of you know the medical center with them doing an operation that that's pleasingly uh sort of grounding it's a bit like we recognize that as a as a as a, 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 a as something from from the here and now um uh, and, and you know the idea of people having operations and things like that isn't often is a, is a sort of moment of realism that is is sometimes missing from spacier stories um so i think elements like that are good i think that the, the slightly sparkly chiffony elements of the costumes are, are perhaps a, a mistake now that's gary dean i think he's called that extra who shakes said he died a couple of years ago and uh i'd not really noticed him and then when i noticed he died i sort of had a look up and he went oh he's in loads of doctor who's but i think that's probably his his greatest moment is when he comes and doctor who shakes his head so i salute you gary dean uh uh uh, uh extra extraordinaire um bushwhacked um there's a real sort of terse simmering anger to tom baker's doctor when he's not in a good mood that i think is really really effective um it it, it means i would be slightly worried about working with him at that time i think but i think these two are are very good at the drama so we always think of them as being sort of light and funny and having that 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 relationship based on the fact that they were 
they fell in love but they're, but they're both very good she's got a real sense of urgent danger and he's got a and he's he's I say he's got a he, he, he you know he's got a he's got a burning aggravation uh, uh that can only be had by somebody you know who's 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 been to the edge of the universe and back and and, and knows what can happen when things go wrong um but yeah but yeah so i was i was one of the original viewers of this all those years ago um <laughs> uh and of, and of course uh, alan bromley the director little did i know i certainly didn't know at the time um was removed or walked out graham williams took over i remember actually having having done the the D dvd commentary and got what we could where people when people were a bit coy as well i think because in in an official bbc studio even you know even though we're just in a recording booth in a for a dvd thing people people don't necessarily go into as, as much detail as, as you might if you were having a chat with somebody in a pub let's be honest um although i try and prize it out of them i really do um uh, and, and i mean there are some things that are then said to you in between episodes one and two that you go okay you've told you've told us that but you don't want us to bring it up that didn't particularly happen with this one but it has happened with with other ones um oh she hasn't been bitten by the thing yet but she does she gets bitten in a minute you you know this <laughs> if you don't know it watch it first before you listen to me blathering on um they look like they were just waiting for their cue um david dacre and tom baker um so then uh, I did a Who's round uh, with Rob Goodman, who has since been in Doctor Who. Um, uh, well, he's he's in Doctor Who a lot. He's an extra, but he's had a speaking role in the in the new series in uh, 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 with Peter Capaldi. Um, but he was an extra in the old show, and, this, and so I interviewed him before he'd been cast in the new series. Rob, he's a great, he's a really interesting guy. He's into Alan Moore and magic and all sorts of stuff, and he's he's a bit he's a bit, he's a bit sort of cool. Uh, is 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 Rob? But he's a he's a mandrel in this, uh, and uh, he's an extra in Trial of a Time Lord and Castro Belva and a few others. And so I thought, oh, that's great because he'll he'll give me all the goss on uh, the director walking out. He didn't even know because <laughs> I guess those guys come in quite late in the studio and they're just sort of shepherded about and told to you know raise your arms here shuffle down that corridor so he didn't even uh he, he had no insight at all into alan bromley's uh uh of uh, you know not not a common occurrence for doctor who is it the only time um i think you can see see the fingers holding yeah so now i remember and i didn't see the fingers holding uh, when i was a lad and i actually think those glowing green eyes and that that brief shot of the mandrel where you can't see that its arms can't bend or that it's got flared legs uh, i think the mandrel looks absolutely fantastic um look at these beautiful uh single it was richard barnes uh, single caption credits for all of the actors oh those were the days um yeah so uh is is Alan Bromley the only classic series director to uh, to not make it to the end? Yeah, Paul Joyce on Warriors Gate uh, uh, was, I think, fired and then came back or walked out and then came back. But he did he did complete the project. Alan Bromley did not. Graham Williams uh, took over. So I need to pause that before it's done. Well, that ship has sailed. So um, anyway, I will pause that uh, if I know which direction to point in. Uh, oh, and I have to choose my favourite thing 
about episode one of Nightmare of Eden. Well, there's so much, I'm rather spoilt for choice. But I think the thing that sticks, it's stuck in my mind as an image. I think it's the sort of headline news of the pitch uh, of the story. And I think it is a very sound idea that has so much potential. The idea of the two ships fused in space and all of that 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 brings to the plot. I think it's a brilliant idea. And it's a, you know, it's a unique idea for Doctor Who. Um, it's brimming with potential. It also gives you that great visual. Um, <coughs> and the story adds so many layers to it. What a great story. Um, uh, I didn't expect I would be doing quite such a song and dance about Nightmare of Eden. So I'm going to start, I think, for episode one. Uh, because it's pretty much the first thing that happens and it, and it hangs over the rest of the story. The idea of the two ships fused in space. That is what I am going to pick. What has my friend Derek chosen as his thing about episode one? Number one, the dialogue. Interfere? Of course we should interfere. Always do what you're best at. That's what Dr. tells Romana, and that basically sums up his philosophy, both before and after Tom Baker came along. And yes, that's it. It was that snappy dialogue. It re reminded me of, of the Marx Brothers movies, when he was caught out pretending to be a member of a salvage company because the salvage company closed 20 years before. He doesn't apologize. He simply responds with, no wonder I never got paid. <laughs> it was things like that. It was it was just that sort of snappy dialogue that he helped him get out of things where other heroes might have used a laser or their fist. I loved that about him. He, he used his brain, he used his wit. Ah, so right now, interesting. I don't know if Derek's doing, therefore, a thing per episode or he's just choosing a number of things. That's fine. There are no real rules with this. It's legitimate. And uh, it means I can't choose the dialogue. Uh, which is a shame because, and I love that bit about. <laughs> no, I wonder, I wonder why I hadn't been paid. That is such a great comeback, um, and there are some very good lines in, in, in it. Um, uh, and I love the fact that one of our American friends, what he responds to about the character of the Doctor is is what separates him from a lot of the sort of American type characters on television at this time and maybe why we talk sometimes about Doctor's inherent Britishness and I think those lines are a little bit more blurred now but certainly at the time um, and, I, and I'm pleased that that's one of the things that appeals uh, to Derek and I'm it was one of the reasons I, I was I was keen for him to do this as well um, uh, and, and you know and to, to bring his 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 appreciation of it as as uh, he lives in the UK um, so as, as, you know, as an, uh, as somebody we've adopted, but whose, whose, you know, experience, early experience of Doctor Who was as, as an American, uh, you know, coming to, to the UK or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think the dialogue now I can't choose that, but if he chooses the, the fusion of the spaceships thing, I, you know, I get a point for that. And what do points mean? N not entirely sure at this stage. Uh, I'm just going to keep on guessing. And, and, and if, if I, if, if. Out of the five things that we guess, if three of them are identical, I win, and I think I get to kill Derek. I think it's, it's something like that. It's just a silly little competition, silly little competition like that where where his life is at stake. Um, as I say, the rules aren't that clear, but I I think death seems like a fair punishment. 
but I, I absolutely think, yeah, there is some great dialogue uh, in, in Nightmare in Eden. So uh, that's a fair point to Derek. Okay, that's the end of part one. Uh, had a lot to say there, didn't we? Uh, I, uh, which is good. Unfortunately, I talk all the way through, which means I don't get to hear the dialogue as much as I would like. So he's also, that's quite a canny thing for him to choose because I, I'm going to have to be on high alert if I'm ever to choose a line uh, or a piece of scripting. Or I just need to get better at this and, and listen and talk at the same time. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, which many people who have met me would say I have yet to master. But look, um, good. I'm glad I'm watching this and not uh, the terror. Although there's uh, going to be a blizzard of white stuff in this uh, if I'm to carry on. But white stuff of a different kind. Uh, but it will still make you chill out. Um, so uh, thanks for listening to Nightmare of Eden Part 1. <laughs> Well, welcome back. It's time for episode two of Nightmare of Eden, which has been chosen for me by my friend Derek, who I haven't seen in a very long time, actually. So uh, it's nice to reach out to somebody who doesn't live far away from me at all. But uh, you think you're in touch with people because of Facebook and social media, and then you go, I might not have seen them for a decade. So thanks for doing this, Derek. I love that. And I love the fact that it's given an excuse to talk, even though we haven't actually even talked directly. And I'm not talking to you directly either, gentle listener. But I appreciate the fact that you're there. And I hope you will enjoy joining me in the corridors of the Empress uh, as we press play on episode two of Nightmare on of Eden. <laughs> I know this stuff, but it's funny when you're talking out loud directly, you suddenly go full of doubts. Nightmare in Eden. Nightmare of Eden. Nightmare on Eden. Night what? <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he knows a lot about Doctor Who. Does he know what all the stories are called? Of course he does. Only an idiot doesn't know what all the stories are called. Right. <clears throat> so uh, we're going to press play. In three, two, one, go. Uh, that's what it was. It's because today or the, the other day, I released the video uh, version of this. Hello, viewers, uh, which comes out much later than the audio because it takes longer to put together and upload and all of that. Uh, and it's of uh, the Rebos operation, which I still sometimes by accident call the Rebos operation because that's how I knew it for years and years and years and years until I'd seen it. It's odd because I, I Nightmare of Eden, it's Nightmare of Eden um, uh, by Bob Bacar. Um, Nightmare of Eden. Um, I remember I remember this episode beginning with the the. The, the reprise with the with the video effect fly thing uh which i suppose is the only way you can do a sort of flying insect but it's not it's not great that unfortunately um but you know it does the job it tells you tells you what's going on um and i, I love that image of the two ships together fused together that was my choice for episode one um and so yes uh someone on facebook said uh don't worry about the reverse operation these are the mistakes i make warriors from the ds you can see somebody holding that uh holding that panel um uh yeah warriors from the deep nightmare of eden and uh uh was it the, the sun makers were all the ones that confused them i still sometimes struggle with whether time lords one word or two either <laughs> um i think it's because it's stuff that you know that 
if it's really ever important, you can just look at it and you won't, so you don't commit it to memory, which is why now, you know, we forget stuff so quickly because when you were a kid, you had to commit a lot of this knowledge that you had about Doctor Who to memory if you read it because you might have read it in a news agent for a magazine you couldn't afford to buy. Whereas now, of course, if you need to know anything, you can just look on Wikipedia. And I'm not talking about Doctor Who now. I mean, there's loads of things where I think, oh, I don't know a thing. I'll look it up. But you look it up to satisfy your craving for the knowledge there and then. But you don't necessarily commit it to memory because, you know, if ever you need to find it out again, you'll look it up again. So I don't remember recipes in the way that I used to either because I know I can just look them up on my phone. Um, and, and that's not good for the brain. So, um, uh, but I'm still slightly disappointed with myself if when I, when, when, and and it, this I don't know if I I think I think my brain started to play tricks on me as I've got older. I like the way in that earlier scene when Doctor Who says uh, Vlax Owen and Rig goes, "Oh dear, that's that's uh, that's not good stuff." Um, David Dacre, uh, uh, I'm I'm from the Midlands, um, so uh, and I I, be, I believe he's a he's a he's an actor from the West Midlands. Uh, uh, and, he, and he played Harry Crawford in Boone. All right, Ken. Uh, which was a very popular series. And it said starring. It was Michael Elphick in Boone, starring David Dacre. Uh, and he was also in Zed Cars. And he was in Moonfleet, which we watched as a school serial with Adam Godley. And he was the, and he's in The Woman in Black as well, the, the Nigel Neal adaptation of uh, The Woman in Black that uh, is very good and very scary. Um uh, and he's great. You you need some. He's very down to earth in this. He's very rich and extravagant in uh, the Time Warrior, and it's a gloriously over the top performance. But here he he he's he's very straight. Uh, as I say, he's the sort of point of view character, um, which makes what happens to him later all the more surprising. Um, uh, uh, and. That's what you need to do when you're acting opposite Tom Baker, I would say, rather than what Louis Fyander does. Um, but again, you know, messing about can can be uh, 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 um, uh, it, it can spread like a pandemic. Uh, it, it can be catching. Um, um, but I do. I, and I. I, I, and I and I I do like the way that the doctor um inveigles his way into to Riggs trust you need that I mean I, I used to get bored sometimes when I'd read, read Doctor Who books I go oh they've landed in a place and it's going to take them three chapters to establish that they're not the bad guys and um I mean there are some whole stories like Frontier in Space they just go from planet to planet being accused of being a spy or a bad guy um and I, and I know some of that is important for us, to, you know, because it, it shouldn't be so easy for them to wander in and, and establish themselves. But that's what that's the brilliance of the psychic paper that Russell T. Davis came up with. It's it's almost like saying, let should we get on with the story rather than the delay the story with stuff that actually, you know, you can only go so far with. Um, and it, and it, it can be a bit boring if people don't trust our our central characters. But but the the the, the way that they do it with this doctor uh uh, in in this story uh, is is that you know his his quick wittedness is is his almost sort of uh, arrogant way he sort of breezes in and takes control is infectious enough 
uh, and infectious was the word I was looking for before when I was talking about over uh, 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 overacting. Uh, it's only come to me five minutes too late. Um, uh, is is enough to sort of convince uh, Rig, who you know we've established is a very sensible character. Who, gosh, it's quite early that he gets uh, he he gets uh, he gets vraxed. Um, uh, with the uh, with the uh, uh, dentist uh, mouthwash thing, and now I I do wonder where so because if that's a drinks dispenser, has has somebody got inside it, or are the drinks dispensers two sided and somebody's just the other side? Anyway, I, I mean it doesn't it doesn't matter, and it's a it's a it's a very sort of sci fi moment, isn't it, where uh, nobody's looking and somebody well not even a sci fi moment, it's a sort of Agatha Christie poisoning moment. Uh, and at the moment, I think because the you know the hand brandishing things has been uh, stopped, you know, with the laser gun off off camera or the half glimpses here, you sort of it's quite a nice uh, diversion actually. You uh, you sort of think, oh well, it's it's the guy that we've only half glimpsed so far. He's he's probably uh, uh, did, um, you know administering the poison or whatever that is. Turns out it's it's Vraxoin. So Rig is now doomed now. This is the only sort of struggle I have with the story is that I, I, I it, it seems to me that um, the story is saying anyone who takes Vraxo in ends up dying. Um, but then nobody would take it. Surely nobody would take it. Uh, the people that take heroin don't, who die of heroin overdoses think they're going to be the ones who aren't going to die because heroin doesn't kill everybody. But you're not going to think that if if it kills everybody you, you go no i don't think anybody or very very small number of people um would would take something in the full knowledge that it will absolutely 100 percent kill you um now i may be wrong but i i just feel that in the past few times i've watched the story that's the impression that it gave me and i unfortunately can't listen to the dialogue too carefully this time around to see if that was a a misapprehension and i think so an imp a slight improvement i think could have been a yeah well you end up dying of it usually because you're create you know your your habit goes out of control or whatever but the idea that no it's a drug that kills you uh, well no no buzz is worth a hundred percent dying for so anyway I'll, I'll leave that there because i'm i'm accentuating the positive but i just I, I just thought that was an area where but i suppose they had to be careful about how much they talked about the drug element of it anyway and 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 uh and, and i suppose you know the message for the kids is you know drugs are killers uh there's you know and, and, and there's no nuance there um and any good time that they give comes at the 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 the, the price of you know your your life so, so I so I suppose in terms that Doctor Who is a program watched by children. I was five when this was on. This is December nineteen seventy nine, so it's a month before my sixth birthday. But I remember it so well. Yes, that's how I mostly remember Dimond is 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 is, is as a blonde silver suited Garner on a monitor. I think David Dacre does this uh, does his uh, does his descent into. Um, drug-induced oblivion very very well um and i i do think it's rather sad because rig's a good guy and as i say you know he 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 doesn't take the doctor's nonsense he does a little bit of research and he catches him out which leads to that line that uh uh, uh derek enjoyed so much um 
but I suppose then the story, well, it's a bold thing to do uh, with with a character. It, it it ups the stakes, and the, you know the story, the the story moves on without somebody who seemed t- terribly important. And he's got some he's got some great scenes later on. Uh, and yeah, canine going into uh, into, into danger. Um, the uh, the spaceship does look like it's sort of made out of um, hazard tape, doesn't it? It's it's almost like the walls are saying, "Don't go here." Um, but I I like the video effects work there. Um, um, and uh, Tom Tom Baker isn't as 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 wayward as we're led to believe. I mean, he he. Yeah, he he is on occasion. I wonder with season seventeen if there's a bit of the sort of Phantom Menace thing going on. Is that is that fans of a of a certain age, and I am definitely prone to this. I want I wanted everyone I want everyone to take Doctor Who seriously and to not mock my thing because I grew up with people mocking Doctor Who, and so for for me it was important to point out where, wherever possible. Uh, I remember Stott in those glasses as well. Um, so this is Stott, played by Barry Andrews. We don't know it's Stott yet, but we've heard about Stott. But he's the mysterious figure who we probably think is drugging the the, the Rexone. And this is Tom Baker going down the same flight of stairs about three hundred times. But that's efficiently done. I mean, the stairs don't have they, they, they they're not the sturdiest. Um, and you you, you actually see, see one collapse under him there. But that's a that's a you know that's a good use of a of a small portion of set to give a sense of scale you know what that you you complicit in it you go well, i pretty much know what you've done there but i think that's perfectly acceptable um oh stott's got a nice scar so yes what i was what i was saying about this is that fans of a certain age and i i oh there was a set wobble there um one for the list um uh the 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 whole um thing about um doctor who uh, this period being, you know, slightly tongue in cheek, um, and they, I mean that's, that's very silly. And again, you sort of know it's the same people, um, but uh, but it's all right. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, it's quite. I think there's, there's there's a sort of there's a bit of cheekiness to that, but I quite like it. Did I see this planet moving then in the model shop? It's just spinning around. Um, I'm going to make this point about. I was desperate for Doctor Who to be serious and not for it to be silly, and it's only it's only relatively recently I would say because I used to be quite dismissive also of people who go oh duh, I like Doctor Who because it's frothy old nonsense I go Doctor Who is not nonsense it's brilliant and I think it is brilliant but you can be brilliant and frothy old nonsense I I I think I still prefer to take Doctor Who seriously although I think one of its key elements is its sense of humour. Doctor Who's sense of humour is, is important. It stops it from being po-faced. And there's a lot of po-faced sci-fi and fantasy about at the moment and, and has been, as I think sometimes a reaction to when science fiction has gone camp and silly. Um, but I wonder if, uh, you know, as you grow up, you want the thing you liked as a kid to be taken seriously. As, you know, Star Wars fans who were, who were, who were I mean, I don't think the Phantom Menace, I'm, I'm talking about the generation I am from. So I'm psychoanalyzing myself and I'm not saying it's a, a it's a bad thing or a, a, a not understandable thing. Pardon me, but I'm trying to rationalize it. And 
you know, and, and I think, you know, we love things like Genesis of the Daleks and, and the Caves of Androzani because they are serious. But I, I do wonder now, as, 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 I, as I am less actually inclined or bothered about showing Doc 2 to other people and proving to them that it's great because I'm, I'm quite happy to enjoy my things and let other people enjoy their things. I don't, I don't quite need to recruit for the cause anymore. Um, is that, of course, if you showed somebody Caves of Androzani or Genesis of the Daleks, it would look to them very little difference to, to this. Uh, and yet, actually, miles apart from the things that they are like, you know, serious, hard-boiled sci-fi. They are closer to those than other Doctor Who, but they're still miles away. The Ark in Space is miles away from Alien in terms of what it looks like. So you're never going to show a non-Doctor Who fan the Ark in Space and them go, this this is, this is, could almost be Alien. So it, 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 actually the sort of frothier, sillier, dafter, more tongue-in-cheek Doctor Who which probably fits in with that, their idea of what old Doctor Who was anyway, might actually entertain them more than the, than the Doctor Who that takes itself, you know, essentially very seriously. Um, I've only sort of thought of that as I've been, as I've been watching this. So it might be a half-baked theory. But I, I always used to think if I'm to show somebody a Doctor Who, I'll show them the caves of Androzani. I'll show them the robots of death. Um, but... Um, they might they might be more entertained by this because it is terribly entertaining. It's you know it's not there's not a dull moment in it. It's not slow. And I think all this stuff done in the void is very very well, very economically and straightforwardly and simply done. And this this video effect stuff uh, uh, that they have here uh, is 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 you know it's it's it's. It's sort of rather new. Uh, you can you can tell what's going on, but it is slightly abstract. Um, I, I think the mandrel eyes in the smoke are absolutely glorious. The the mandrels come a little bit unstuck, uh, and I, I like a laser beam. This is the period of straight laser beams coming from the end of a laser gun, and when you're a kid, that's just amazing. Um, uh, and I know American shows could do laser beams better, but I I like. I like the laser beams of this period of Doctor Who. Um, he's got fantastic... The actor David Weston described them as boiled egg eyes, and he has, hasn't he? Um, yeah, Doctor... And, and, I mean, you can see why he captured a... Captured a generation or two. Um, I, and I remember being a village hall thing. It must... Well... It was around Christmas, wasn't it? So it must have been a Christmas thing at the village hall. I'm from the countryside in the middle of nowhere. And we had to do a sort of charadzi sort of thing. And I remember this lad walking around, you know, with his arms out. You know, and I shouted out, you're, you're a monster, you're being a monster, blah, de, blah, de, blah, de, blah. And, uh, and nobody got it. And he went, I'm being a mandrel. And of course, I went, well, I said a monster. A mandrel is a monster. Oh, God, I bet I said it like that as well. Awful. And and he got a bit shirty with me and I got a bit shirty with him because uh, he watched Doctor Who, but I probably knew more about it than he did because I was a proper Doctor. Oh, God. The things we... Why am I still haunted by that? I hope he's grown up to be a happy, nearly 50-year-old man who won't remember that at all. But uh, it was because he... 
It wasn't. It was because he was being a Doctor Who thing. I I felt some some propriety. And I actually I recall I won the raffle at that. I I won. So I never win things. I won some. What are they called? They're they're fruit jellies, but they have a they're quite large fruit jelly things that have a, a, a sort of crystal with a liquid centre in the middle, uh, and they look much nicer than they actually are. And I remember being really excited that I'd won them, and um, uh, and and they're quite soft and quite sweet and sickly. Um, anyway, um, hello, Lewis Fyander. I did try to get him for my Who's Round podcast because I. I did a thing. Uh, well, for some reason, I, I I I started searching for people in Australia first. I don't know why. I was I was living at my friend's house at the time uh, and uh, doing a lot of stuff by Skype, and that's how I got Victor's Ritelis because I thought, well, I can track him down because if he's on Spike, he'll be Victor's Ritelis in Australia, and I found him. And so, uh, and and I did um, Ilona Rogers, who was. Uh, uh, in New Zealand from the sense rights by, by, by Skype. So I found Lewis Fyander's Skype handle and I sent him a message, but I don't know if he even got it because it's a quite unusual way of getting hold of somebody. But anyway, I never heard back. So I never interviewed Lewis Fyander and he, he died a couple of years later. But uh, as I say, seemed quite a, quite an, a, a, a Bane man. And there were a few interviews with him online, but nobody thought to talk to him about Doctor Who. They talked to him instead about his illustrious theatrical career. Um, um, I'd be interested to see what the listeners out there think. Oh, have I got... I've asked my... Uh, I've asked... Uh, I occasionally ask some of the, the patrons for their their theories uh, on the stories I'm about to watch. I don't know if I asked anybody about Nightmare on Eden. Um, um, and it's interesting, isn't it, that, that Bob, Bob, Ma- Bob Baker, having always been part of Bob Baker and Dave Martin, uh, uh, is, is, doing, uh, is doing this one on his own. Uh, and I think, to no detriment, I think, it's a, I think it's a really interesting script, really interesting story. Uh, Bob Baker is, of course... Uh, wrote for Wallace and Gromit as well. Um, ah, and here we have Waterguard Fist and Landing Officer Costa. Landing Officer Costa is Peter Craze, who started his Doctor Who career playing a rather large role in the Space Museum, Darko, um, uh, one of the uh, the lovely young Zerons. Uh, Peter Craze died on the last day of last year, sadly. Um, uh he was a, a, a highly regarded drama teacher, a very busy radio actor, uh, and also the brother of Michael Craze, who played Ben. Uh, he's also um, plays the Frenchman in one of the episodes of uh, uh, the War Games, Dupont. Um, and he was a really nice guy. And he he died within a week of Jeremy Bullock, who's also in the Space Museum with him, who was uh, who was a, a, a fellow um, Corona, I think, uh, drama school kid that's why that's where they got the young actors from and uh, the space museum um and peter we did get for the for the dvd commentary of this and i'm very pleased because we couldn't get jeffrey hinsliff who was for years don brennan in coronation street he's also jack tyler in uh in image of the fendal uh, so he's been in it not actually that long ago um but um i i think he i think both of the, these two guys decide to sort of 
follow Tom Baker's way of doing things as well. And they've both got a bit too much glitter on. Yes, I think they do comedy door acting here. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 they they give it a, the they're they're playing the sort of slightly farcical uh, element of it. They are you know they are supposed to be inept um, customs men, and so they go for the you know shall we do hapless running hapless getting through a door stuff and and again that it's this i think a slightly the, the slightly sort of uh, we're in space so yes we'll give them sort of customs officers hats and uniforms and stuff but we'll make the lining all glittery because when people are in because space is quite glittery isn't it so that's what people are going to wear in space um i remember that episode ending and i didn't notice the glitter when i was five it all seemed terribly serious to me uh so I've been quite picky there, but I I think it's the reason I uh, I've been picky is because I'm uh, I, I'm holding my hands up and saying I I really enjoy this story, but I'm I'm trying to understand where fandom was coming from when for many years uh, season seventeen was uh, was a was a dirty couple of words. It was it was. Uh, it, it was it was not very highly regarded. It, people spoke of it as if it was something that you'd stepped in, and, and largely because of the because of the humour. And I, I I mean, as I say, I think the humour of Doctor Who is really really important. But I I I do think you have to judge it, and I do think it was a time uh, on television when you could when you could go too far if you wanted to. But actually, the humour, even if you look at things like Zed Cars and, and gritty programmes of the time, it was at a time when a comedy character would be, you know, annoying neighbour or whatever, would be a slightly broader performance than perhaps some of the... And performances were slightly broader as well. So this isn't just Doctor Who. It's not like Doctor Who had this sort of silly high comedic streak and everything around it was very serious even even in you know the cop shows you would you would get characters or caricatures um uh particularly of working class characters i think some of the some of the time uh who, who were played rather cre- you know who were, who were, you know played with a metaphorical uh hump and twitch or whatever um so that's the other thing because we watch doctor who so much more than perhaps we watch other stuff when i say we i mean me <laughs> Um, but but yeah, even stuff that seemed quite sort of gritty and grown up at the time is much broader. So any broadness in Doctor Who has to be taken in context. And actually, I find, I you know, I find it all very entertaining. I think I think Nightmare of Eden is a yeah, it's Nightmare of Eden. Don't you know? Uh, I mean, any idiot knows that. So if you're listening and going, oh, I can never remember what it's called. I mean, call yourself a fan. Um, so. What am I going to choose as my favourite thing of episode two? Well, I think. I mean, do I just say the? Do I just say the drug? Do I just say the 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 drug element of the story? Ah, uh, but I I do like the fact that the drug is the mandrels, which comes in a bit later. Um, do I say David Dacre? Because I like David Dacre and I like the fact... I mean, I don't like the fact that he gets drugged and and doomed, but it is a very effective sort of twist in the story. Um, oh, it's a tricky one because it's a case of where do I put what I'm choosing? Because I don't plan this in advance, you see. Um... Derek's already chosen the dialogue. 
um 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 yeah i'll choose i'll choose david dacre as captain rig just because uh i think it's a good performance it's very different to his his different from his performance in the time warrior for the same director uh and also because i like i like the character who you know moves from being our point of view character to being stricken and and i mean he gets some great stuff uh, it gets some great stuff uh next week but i know i've got other you know i've got other i've got i've got other things i'm going to need to choose so i'm going to have to yeah i'm not 100% convinced i've chosen the right thing for this episode but i'm thinking on my feet and i can't pause because that would be boring to listen to david dacre as Captain Rig, who is, I think, the pick of the performances in the whole thing as well. Um, where, as we know, there is an unevenness of performance. And uh, I I don't think David Dacre puts a foot wrong. What does Derek think? The second thing I liked, the attention to detail. A scene when he's running through this passenger liner chasing after somebody. And it's the same group of people and you know it's the same group of people but they make subtle changes to it they make subtle changes to the numbers in each section some of the where the people are sitting some are standing some are going around it's little things but it worked and other things that were being brought up at the time uh, not just things like the you know the, the main plot points but other things like the insurance these two ships collide in orbit and the two captains are arguing over the insurance premiums that are going to be rising as a result of it what are the sci-fi shows going to show you something as banal and yet realistic seeming as that that is actually a brilliant choice bravo derek uh and and absolutely if i'd been paying more attention i mean i i i did think about going i i, I like the fact that they use the same passages and the same steps but i wasn't sure that i could really choose that because i'm not sure it entirely works but i do I do I acknowledge it's what's par, um, but I, I absolutely the fact that the first thing that would happen when two spaceships crashed is that there would be an insurance claim uh, is absolutely right, and it's a bit like what I was alluding to in part one of, of seeing you know a, a proper sort of surgeon scene, a proper sort of operating theatre scene, which which is again a very those things are never going to go away. Operating theatres, insurance claims, compensation, and 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 when you bring those into science fiction, you help the outlandish. It's 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 the sort of protocol version. It's the form filling version of the of the civvies that people wear in the film Alien. You know where the film Alien went. Well, nobody's going to wear. Um, you know glittery clothes in space anymore people are going to wear the sort of clothes that they wear well also people are going to fill in forms and do all of those sorts of things that we still do uh you know in in, in space no one can hear you claim ha <laughs> ha um uh i i think that's a really good choice i think that's a really good choice and i love the insurance uh, uh element for it the the idea that uh, yeah, when your spaceship crashes, you do an insurance claim because it is the spaceship is the equivalent of a of a car or a heavy goods vehicle or a cargo vessel. I mean, you know, absolutely, it's a holiday liner. Of course, they're going to have insurance, um, and all the travellers would have insurance. Um, uh, love it. So good choice. I knew that my choice wasn't. Uh, I did my usual thing, didn't I? I defaulted to a person slash performance, but it's because I've sort of got in my head. 
that there's a couple of elements for this that are choice and juicy and beautiful. Um, but I've got to I've got to choose the right episodes. Um, although you know there is a cause to choose David Dacre next week, uh, but we'll get on to that next week. No spoilers. Um, uh, well, look. Um, I hope you enjoyed episode two of Nightmare of Eden. Uh, uh, I'm going to go now. Uh, lay off the lay off the Vrax Owen. Don't want you to be high as a kite because I just might start to check you out. Uh, let me go. Bye, and uh, I will see you. Uh, well, I won't see you, but I'll talk. I'll yell into the void in the vain hope that some of you are listening. And next time, the void will be resonating with my thoughts on episode three of Nightmare of Eden. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's time for episode three of Nightmare of Eden. Uh, I am going to press play on my DVD in three, two, one, go. Um, so, oh, I love these titles. I'll say this every time. Um, but uh, there is something rather glorious about them. And they work for, uh, you know... Uh, they herald very different styles of Doctor Who between between Robot and uh, and the Horns of Nymon. They're on their way out, sadly, but uh, I think they I think they are they they, they dress everyone uh, appropriately and, and 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 start the show in considerable style. Um, I like the fact that actually uh, Fisk and uh, Costa are called Waterguard Fisk and Landing Officer Costa because even though you know they're sort of customs men. Whose whose ranks obviously hail back to the days when customs was was largely done, you know, um, at ports. Um, but uh, but I I find it, you know, it's not an oversight. It's a deliberate um, use of uh, of an arc, of a title that is no longer apposite to the s surroundings. But you know, I can see why the customs people would go. Well, we will still call ourselves those things because that goes back to the early days of our of our work. So I like that. That's the sort of attention to detail that uh, Derek, uh, my guest, uh, talked about um, as his choice for uh, episode two. Um, uh, uh, so Jeffrey Hinsliff uh, was to become very very famous as a character called uh, Don Brennan in Coronation Street, uh, who was. Uh, uh, rather an unlucky character. I think he lost a leg, ended up died in a car crash. Um, was married to Ivy Tilsley, uh, a long-running character uh, in the show. And I know we tried to get him for the DVD, uh, and because they because I think they struggled to get people for Image of the Fendal as well. And he's in that too. Um, uh, and I and I think he just said, "I'd look. I don't remember anything." Uh, and he lived quite far away from London, and you know didn't want to. He. He was actually up for a part in the Foresight saga when I was up for it. He he and Frank Mills from who was also in Coronation Street, uh, from uh, Terror of the Autons, were both up for a part uh, because I always sneak a look when I'm doing an audition. I always I also I always have a look for who else is coming up, either to see who I'm up against or to see if you know what other actors are coming in that day. And they were seeing older actors for, I think, some sort of doorman sort of character. I don't think either of those two gents got it. But I remember thinking, well, if I'm auditioning for the same level of part and on the same day as those two guys, both had illustrious careers, both Dundalk 2 and Coronation Street, uh, I, thought, I, I thought I'll take it. And I did get my part uh, in the Foresight Saga. 
uh, did a scene. I did two scenes with Damien Lewis. Only one of them made it into the into the show. Um, anyway, that's another story. So I do remember the the the, the scenes on Eden. This is a this is a great idea. Um, the idea of trying to conserve bits of a planet, and I don't buy the Doctor's theory that actually, um, uh, you know, you're you're conserving it like um, what jam conserves fruit or whatever. Because if there the, the could be a, a, a an actual uh, ecological reason, a, 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 a conservation reason for. Uh, you know t t taking bits of planets and, and 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 housing them digitally in order to you know preserve um precious bits of them i suppose it depends how directly under threat they are otherwise it's the equivalent of a zoo isn't it yes so there's there's a moral issue there but i i i like the fact it's slightly it's slightly fuzzy and that they even consider that um but again as a science fiction idea it's it's a great idea let's store let's store these bits of planets uh you know on the equivalent of a slide um and these these scenes are very very nicely shot um the you know the lighting is is great that the, the bbc has i'm sure billions of records of alieny jungly sounds uh, i always maintain that doctor who never quite sounds as odd and strange and alien as it does in the 1960s where they have some brilliant sort of jungly alieny sounds uh, uh in some of the planets visited by the first doctor in particular um but i i think they very wisely um well there's a sort of a a a, a bit of a video disc isn't it they used to have to go and get the video disc machine from grandstand or whatever which might have used it to uh uh, uh do a, a slow motion action replay to go, we've we need a tendril we need a bit of tendril can we borrow the video disc and, uh, and this is this is good old-fashioned sci-fi jeopardy of uh uh malevolent plants seem to be quite a thing because there's some in megalos the, the the following year oh does he bite the he bites the tentacle doesn't he um uh, I can imagine Tom Baker biting, taking a chunk out of a tentacle when he's in a bad mood. Oh, that's pretty grim, isn't it? Uh, quite, what, whatever he's doing there, he, he spurts the juice of a tentacle into the mouth of a plant. Uh, and that's enough to see them both done for. Uh, I sort of forgot about that, but it's quite grim, isn't it? He's got some green goo on his face. Um, that's, that, that's Tom getting down and dirty. That's Tom Baker, the doctor, getting very down and dirty in the jungle which is but, but nicely shot and that's you know as a as a short piece of you know early episode jeopardy in a new environment i think the venus flytrappy thing and the and the and the video disc tendril are, uh are, are fine um yes i was sad when uh when i heard that uh peter craze had died because uh, I'd, I'd 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 done a commentary with him for this for for phantom films uh oh no for for, for not for, for for the space museum and for his episode of the of the war games but i'd done and i'd done the commentary with him for this for for the bbc and i liked him very much and i know friends of friends um hold, held him in very high regard as a as a as a drama teacher um uh and he was yeah he was a nice guy um uh and i knew he'd had a stroke but he, he he's you know I, I'd met him post-stroke, and he'd seemed in 
in Fine Fettle, but of course our hero, but Jeremy Bullock is somebody that I consider to be quite young. Um, oh, and Jer- isn't that interesting? Jeremy Bullock and Peter Craze were great mates, and they're both cast by Alan Bromley, but in different Doctor Whos. Um, I'd like to get an angle on Alan Bromley, really, because I think he was somebody that we, we wrote off as, because he was always talked of as this sort of senior guy, um, and uh, you know, and this is sort of seen as the twilight of his career. I think we assumed that he'd sort of, uh, you know, died in the eighties and nobody had noticed. A bit like John George Spenton Foster, the other director that that from from this sort of time that nobody uh, managed to speak to. And actually, they died much later than you would have thought. Uh, I think Alan Bromley was st- still around in the early nineties. Um, he was married to June Ellis, uh, 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 a blonde. Uh, character actress uh, who's in the film of Quasimass and the Pit amongst other things uh, and she's in uh, the Prisoner episode The Change of Mind um, and she was around until more recently and I think some people did did speak to her and I think maybe got the odd telesnap off of, of, of some other stuff. No, she'd lent the telesnaps to somebody else and never got them back that was right um, but I think yeah, June Ellis spoke to some people but um, yeah we've not quite got an angle on, on Alan Bromley and that's a that's a shame because it would be it would I'd, I'd like to know a bit more about him. Uh, is there a documentary in the offing? Uh, I don't know if I don't know if he'd be considered a big enough figure, but uh, I certainly don't quite think we've got to the the full story of 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 what happened here. Um, he says th- the name Stott, doesn't he? Which I like. Uh, uh, it's it's just quite cool in a in a seventies man who drinks coffee and puts his hands on his hips kind of way. Um, he's, it, it, it's, his, it's, it, it's sort of like if Gareth Hunt's unavailable, uh, I shall be, he's, he's very handsome. He's got a very solid presence. And again, it's sort of welcome in a story where the performances are a bit, uh, wayward. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's dependable and he's straight, straight down the line. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, gives it that sort of leading man straightness that it sort of needs i like his scar he's got a scar as well because he's been he's been grabbed by the mandrills uh but uh barry andrews uh we couldn't get for the commentary either um uh because i i I think he sort of rather withdrew from public life for, for various reasons um uh so uh He's an he's another one from Nightmare of Eden that hasn't been particularly interested in engaging with uh, the public. So I, I, don't, I don't think Nightmare of Eden is 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 the connecting issue between Jeffrey Bateman and Barry Andrews and Jeffrey Hinsliff and Jennifer Lonsdale and David Dacre. Uh, I don't think they all went. We were in Nightmare of Eden. And we're never talking to anybody again. Uh, I think it's probably because they just went, I can never remember if it's called Nightmare Of or Nightmare On, so I'd rather not engage. Um, but it, it, as I say, it did mean that we scrabbled about a bit for... We ended up getting quite a good mix. I, it's, it's one that I always think of apologising for and then going, actually, it was a, it was a, it's a perfectly good commentary. It, uh, it, has, uh, uh, it has the writer, it has the visual effects guy, and it has two cast and uh, makeup. Well, that's that's a perfectly good commentary. That's a But... but I know we literally got everybody that we could. Um, uh, that was a that 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 CSO was a bit uh, bits vanished there, um, 
And also Stott waited for quite a long time for the Doctor to join so that he could then say, look out, Doctor. But uh, that's the nature of uh, CSO and stuff. K K I haven't talked much about K-9. Um, some people hate K-9, don't they? I love K-9. Um, but I, I, I do prefer the John Leeson K-9, if I'm honest. Um, and... Although, no, because my earliest memory is of, of The Invisible Enemy. Um, but I, I didn't realise as a kid that K-9 was done by different people. I remember I discovered that, I think, in Doctor Who, a celebration. and went, really? Um, and it was quite, l and again, because we got these, the videos of this era quite late, I didn't I didn't come across the Briarly uh, K-9 until quite, quite late in the day. Um, and I think bits like that with him sniffing and stuff where, Again, I think I think K nine is funny when K nine is played straight, not when K nine joins in with the joke. And I think that's what happens mistakenly sometimes in season seventeen is that people join in with the joke, and it's actually better if if you don't. Now I think they get killed, don't they? Yeah, yes, that's right. Oh, that's that's pretty grim. Um, although that's yeah, yeah that, that's that's um, I don't know how Richard Barnes is is killed there. He's he's he's, he's sort of. But but of course, th this is a glorious moment because are are we breaking the fourth wall? Is you know are some are some not very good monsters killing some not very good extras, um, and and are the viewers going? Oh, that's a bit rubbish. And then it cuts to 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 one of the characters in it going that that's stuff. But he's doing it because he's high on high on drugs. So you could say that's a very clever and artful uh breaking down of the fourth wall um uh uh uh, uh you know commenting on its own artifice um but that's a great line they're only economy class and 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 i like costa's revulsion at what so it's you know it's not sending it up completely because because there is another character on hand to say you're out of order and of course um rig has a reason to to act so callously and in a, such a cavalier way because he's high on drugs um what is stop doing stop stop's got stop didn't really know what's going on there and that that uh that mandrel was a bit zippy and a bit uh is it got mandrel crotch it got uh, it got uh, gusset rot uh that uh that mandrel um and oh and you can see the bottom of its feet uh it's they're, they're a funny mixture aren't they the, the the mandrels because elements of their costume are absolutely fabulous and elements of their costume are really not very good at all oh and i just saw a member of the crew to the left hand side of the screen um uh can i say i don't like lala ward's dress in this is that allowed uh it's 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 like a maternity dress. She needs a belt. And uh, who am I to tell Lala Ward, Lala, Lala Ward how to dress? She's a very, very, very stylish woman. But uh, I don't think that's her finest wardrobe moment. Um, uh, um, so, yes, breaking of the fourth wall with uh, with Rig laughing. But that, that economy class line is, is very, very good. Um and yes when when that mandrel killed uh, richard barnes it did sort of it just sort of rubbed him on the shoulders a bit and he had to do his very best um 
And this crewman is Sebastian Stride, who has just, as I record this, his death has just been... I never knew it. I didn't really know anything about him at all. But he got a, a little piece in The Guardian because he was quite well known as a sort of pub singer, uh, guitar player uh, in certain uh, London pubs. Died relatively young. 65 is no age these days. But if, uh, you know, I think... You know, he, these, those are the sorts of people who, you know, will have been around. He was around for episodes three and four recording. Uh, would have been worth talking to uh, and getting their memories down. Um, but, uh, you know, often they're hiding in plain sight and you don't find out about them until they, they pass away, which is uh, what he did, sadly, very recently. Sebastian Stride. But there's some footage of him on YouTube uh, singing, in, uh, singing in the pub, uh, which was nice. And it's, it's where I... When I spend an afternoon, you know, getting the measure of somebody I will now never meet, but who I acknowledge as uh, as a contributor to this great TV show, and uh, you know, will have immortality because they are a name on the list of people that have been in Doctor Who, and that's uh, that's a that's a great list to be on. And I, as I say, I salute all of those people. I like Tom Baker's tartan trousers. Um, in fact, I like his I like his costume. Full stop. I, I think the, you know the the look of Tom Baker is a, is a genius look. Um, uh, it's it's quite good casting, isn't he, Jeffrey Hinsliff? Because he's he's the typical sort of s small man, and the the way that it's shot sort of emphasizes that um, uh, overcompensatory small man. You could bet he overtake you on the motorway quite a lot. Um, I mean, I mean Fisk. Uh, not Jeffrey Hinsliff. I don't know how. I'm sure he drives marvellously. He didn't in Coronation Street. But again, that was his character. So these two characters are behaving very suspiciously. And I think I, as a kid, went, oh, I think the... Because Dimond is quite a good character because he's not in it that much. Um, but he's in it enough to make himself known. So he's a really good choice to be one of the bad guys because he has to be there because he's the captain of the other ship. So... It's one of those surprises where, as a kid, you have an inkling that he might be in on it and then you feel good about yourself that he is. Whereas I think it's it's no surprise that uh, Trist is a bad guy um, because, um, well, it certainly isn't now after that very shifty conversation they had in the corridor. But, uh, you know, I, I think Trist is well-placed to be the bad guy and, and I think the performance nods you or goose steps you in that direction if you want to go there um yes uh so that's uh i mean tom baker says sends send, sends it up a little bit um and uh, and it's interesting what what battles directors will have had with their their leading man but he did he did behave for people that he respected uh, and and you can tell when he's with an actor that he respects as well because he uh, you know he does he, he he does change the pitch and tone of his performance and he's quite deferent to uh, Beatrix Lehman in the Stones of Blood and deferential to to her and to uh, to Graham Crowden a little bit in uh, in the Horns of Nyman he knows there's no point in trying to compete with Graham Crowden um Whereas, uh, I mean, he has a great moment with with Louis Viander in uh, in episode four, um, uh, but but the rest of the times it's not really. I don't think, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it creates the 
comic energy that perhaps uh, was an was anticipated when some of that was being come up with. Oh, and that's a bit like the bit with the Marsh Child in uh, in uh, Full Circle, where he says, you know, no to a, a a creature who doesn't understand that if it thwacks a bit of technology, it's gonna uh, die. That is a brilliant, brilliant effect. It's a same the same that the last bit of it is slightly rushed, but that collapse augmented with a bit of video effect, uh, and then this absolutely superb idea i've seen it written up as being a, a daft idea why wouldn't the desiccated the um the uh uh petrified um the rotten old degenerated state of a living creature when it you know when it when it becomes dust why would that not have different qualities? Why would that not become just the same as we become? Uh, well, no, I suppose our bones are already are already uh, calcium and stuff, aren't they? But but I I I think it's a perfectly acceptable and in fact a very very good science fiction idea that the that the drug that we're looking for is actually the. Uh, the, the the decayed remains of the monster which of course is a brilliant way of smuggling a drug because we assume that mankind found it when it went to the planet of the mandrels and you know somebody found some just like we discovered alcohol by eating rotten fruit somebody discovered uh uh vraxoin by eating multi-mandrel uh i think that that works perfectly fine for me and it's a great way to smuggle a drug you smuggle it as the living creature you get it to the other end uh and and you and you kill the you kill the monster and you and you get the drug david dake is great in this scene um so i i could have chosen him for i could have chosen him for this episode really and perhaps i should have done but i chose him for last episode but if derek chooses him for this episode because Derek's not choosing specific to episodes, really, is he? He's sort of choosing general things one at a time, which is fine. That's legitimate. But if he chooses after me, uh, I think I get the point for that. Um, but I, I, that's why I was annoyed when we got this as a as a compilation, uh, because David Dacre's not in episode four, so I didn't know where he appeared on the credits, because uh, <laughs> we only had the credits for episode four. Uh, he gets second guest billing for those of you that worry about such things, um, but it's it's rather a sad end for for Rig because he's he's actually done nothing wrong at all, um, uh, uh, but of course, and he's perfectly placed plot wise to stop. Ramon. Gosh, Tom Baker's very sweaty there. Doctor Who is very sweaty. Um, so yeah, that's that's really unfortunate for for poor old Captain Rig, who gets who gets shot dead. Um, uh by fisk who's um not not really saving romana because he's he he wants to kill her as well um but but well that's great because that just escalates the tension you think she's you think she's safe but actually she's just got she's under a different sort of threat uh and i and i like the uh you know, he's he's pointing the gun at her, and we're at the end of the episode, and she's got to press the button. That's a very Doctor Who. He's all sorts of Doctor Who stuff going on here. 
you know, military man with a or customs man with a gun and laser gun. She's got to press a button. Uh, we're running out of time. The doctor's under threat for the monster. Uh, 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 well, oh no, he's that the monster's gone, but he's he's under threat for the. We're doing the thing. We're undoing, trying to undo the thing that has happened at the very beginning of the story, which is this great uh, wheeze of having the two ships uh, metamorphosed together. Uh, and I remember this i remember this episode ending i remember i remember standing in the we called it the utility room it's like a sort of pantry and adjunct to the kitchen in in the old house i lived in in the countryside and isn't this isn't one of these effects a first uh in 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 this that's in a proper documentary they'll talk about what's a first in this but i think that special effect might be a first um and i remember I remember that I didn't really understand the complexities of the story, but I I knew that the ships were being pulled apart, and that, that I got the idea that the Doctor was sort of torn between one and the other. Uh, and I remember that image. That's a great image of the Doctor. Looks like he's sort of being rent asunder uh, because you know the ships are being sort of separated, and the Doctor's sort of in the the, the, the void between the two. Uh, again, without really understanding the science of it, uh, I totally got the jeopardy. Uh, and I think that's great. I think that's great. I are you a are you listening? Are you a season seventeen hater? Have we got over our hatred for 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 season seventeen? I know it's stylistically. Um, I mean, I don't look. I'll be honest. I don't think season seventeen is as good as the uh, as the Holmes Hinchcliffe stuff. I don't think it's 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 a, it's good quality of product. Um, uh, you know, the production values aren't as good. I think the tone of the Hinchcliffe home stuff is absolutely perfect. And I think the key to time sort of balances its season, balances its humour slightly better than season 17. I think it does go a little bit too wayward. And yet there are, there are some great, some of the humour in, in this is fantastic. And Douglas Adams's presence is, is, is very, very welcome. I think the fact that it's coupled with occasionally production values that are struggling uh, and a, a, a Tom Baker who is 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 clearly uh, feels he wants to push it as far as he possibly can. I th so I I think the critical mass that is reached, I think there's perhaps one too many too too many elements where it's that are slightly wayward. That means I can understand um, why perhaps you know season seventeen um, is felt to be. Um, you know, part part of a decline. And Doctor Who goes in a totally different direction for season 18. I love season 18. I actually, I, I found season 18 a little bit, beige is the wrong word, but a little bit prosaic at the, the, the time. I still loved it because it was Doctor Who. But uh, I think I, I think I loved this, this more. This was more frightening and ex exciting. It was all a bit mathematic and, and ponderous music for me, season 18. I love season 18 now. And I'm just talking about my memories as a kid. You, you, I went from being, you, you, you know, the biggest Doctor Who fan in the world to slightly disappointed by Doctor Who quite quickly because I'd got into the past and and the past was unreachable, whereas the present was 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 there. Where's the where's the excitement in that? I mean, it was still the best thing on telly and my favourite program. But extraordinary, isn't it? How we can go to be slightly disappointed with what we've got almost immediately. Uh, but. But I think season seventeen is 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 much more highly regarded now. But I, 
I think, you know, like the gunfighters and various things, I think it's it, it, it has a hangover of a reputation. It might will never quite escape. I mean, I know some people absolutely love it, which is why I would also say, yeah, but I, I think, you know, as, uh, objectively, I, I I couldn't say it is it is it is better than than the previous seasons. Although, you know, it is terribly entertaining. And I think this is great. I'm I'm really enjoying I'm really enjoying this. I'm aware that I'm talking all the way through it, though, uh, as well. But I think it's I think it's fun and it's certainly not dull and it's brimming with ideas. So what's my favourite thing about episode three? Well, it's got to be the confluence of the idea that the drug of Raxoin is the petrified remains of the monster, which brings in that great idea. Uh, it, well, it's a great science fiction idea, but also it's a great way of smuggling the drug. That's so clever. Uh, and the fact that it's rendered through an, an excellent special effect. So that, 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 that sequence, but also it's, you know, the presence of that idea in the plot. That is my thing for episode three. What has Derek chosen? Now, he just seems to be choosing different elements of the story one by one, which is fine, perfectly legitimate. But that means if he chooses something that I've already chosen, I do get a point. So I'm living in hope that he might pick something that I've already picked. Let's see. The third thing I liked about this was the scientific notions behind it. You had a drug so potent, so dangerous that... They destroyed the planet where the original source of it was from. You have creatures that break down into this monstrously addictive drug. You have transdimensional storage spaces for endangered species. You have two ships phased together, locked molecularly, because one of them came out of hyperspace too soon. All of these high-tech ideals that drove the story were just so far ahead of its time i think well now there you go now he's been very clever of course because he's in one fell swoop he's chosen two of the things that i've chosen so i don't know how that works i might need to get the commentary ombudsman in to <laughs> to adjudicate because um i i, I have he's his well that means i guess that i've taken two goes to to wipe out one of one of his so i get a point but it's taken me two potential points to get that point i i guess that guess that's uh, uh, the way it is but yes oh and i yes i've forgotten about it. of course they they destroyed yeah they 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 would destroy the planet to get the to to to, to wipe out all trace of the of the vrax um but yes it is it, i could have if I'd been sensible, because uh, I was actually, I was, I'd got in the back of my head to choose the CET machine next week, which I'm now not going to be able to do. Of course, I've got to choose two things next time, my thing for episode four and the bonus thing. Uh, so there's still a chance if I choose two things and Derek and, 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 the, and, and, and Derek, and they're the same as Derek's or Derek chooses two things that I've already uh, chosen so i'm i'm living in hope i'm not doomed like some vrax snorting miscreant um but yeah i think derek and i are on the same page there this is a really imaginative hats off to bob baker it's a really imaginative use of doctor who's format 
you know, it's a story of monsters on a spaceship, people trapped on a spaceship with, with deadly monsters that kill people, which is great familiar Doctor Who stuff. It's got a jungle that's got deadly tentacles and things and green spurting goo and, you know, um, sh shadows where things with claws attack you. Great Doctor Who-y stuff. But it's also got uh, ideas at its core that are unique to this story uh, and, and make this story uh, hugely recommended in... in that regard uh and if your taste for doctor who is is the slightly broader performances and the slightly more anarchic style of 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 the the central character fully unleashed then this is a heady brew for you if you're slightly queasier about you know arch performances and and uh you know undergraduate humor and tongue-in-cheek style i still think you can applaud the notions at its core um so i'm uh, I'm not having a nightmare uh, on Eden. I'm having a lovely little daydream. Uh, but uh, it is actually... Um, uh, and the title's clever as well, isn't it? Because Eden, of course, is, is paradise. And uh, well, we'll get on to the name Eden uh, next, uh, next week because there's a nice little gag, uh, a casting gag, my favourite. But let us not anticipate uh, what's going to happen next week because that is the end uh, of episode three of Nightmare of Eden. Well, welcome back. Uh, it is episode four of Nightmare of Eden. Uh, will you be able to keep awake during it? You don't stay awake during a nightmare, do you? Uh, my friend Derek O'Brien has so far chosen three things. We have one more on a bonus to uh, get to at the end uh, so let's see what part four has in store uh, I'm paused on the DVD between parts three and parts four and I'm going to press play in three two one uh, and so uh, this title sequence only has four episodes to go after this, if you don't count Sharda, um, which, as it wasn't broadcast, I think is perfectly acceptable to not count. Gosh, Sharda was, was like the Holy Grail for many years. Now, now you can't move for Sharda's. Bob Baker's only solo credit uh, for Doctor Who. Uh, now, I, I think some of... Nightmare of Eden's bad reputation comes as well as you know the 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 the, the odd uh, sort of comic tone um come, much of it comes from this episode I would say so it'll be interesting to think I I am enjoying watching it in good quality and on the big screen and though Tom Baker has a very sweaty face I you do sort of get the impression that he sort of he might just sleep anywhere in that big long coat and shirt and um you don't think about such things as as, as, as someone, someone's personal hygiene when you're a kid but as an adult you go did you i mean did you did, did he just did you just spend ages in the same clothes asleep i know he used to wander around with a toothbrush in his in his pocket and sort of you know wherever i lay my hat that's my home that planet is moving um, which I've never noticed before because I've got it on, on quite a big uh, screen at the moment. This is quite nice. Um, 
I'm able to watch uh, stuff bigger than I've ever seen it before. Um, I mean, I think when I originally watched this, it might eat. Yeah, because we didn't get a colour telly for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, I think I would have originally watched this in black and white. Now, that's just because uh, Dimond is, is calling it Hecate and Tom Baker, I'm sure, later calls it the Hecate. Um, which, of course, is, you know, that's that's a way of pronouncing the, the name of the goddess. Uh, and probably Tom Baker got it. Well, well, it's Hecate, isn't it? And like, but everyone else has called it Hecate so far. Well, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, I as, as, as we know, I think he was in a... A fairly strident mood when this was being made, which is one of the reasons that uh, Alan Bromley, the director, who's I think it, I think it might have been his last job ever, um, uh, you know, so walks out of the studio never to return. Um, so Graham Williams, the producer, directed. Okay, so um, Fisk who is very much the chief of the two uh, customs officers, has told Dimond he's got to stay put. Dimond wants to... Dimond's had to do that uh, thing because he said, why, why are you on the ship? You were supposed to be here. So, oh, come to get some stuff to deal with the mandrels. But, of course, we've had a hint in episode three that Dimond is perhaps uh, complicit in some of the nefarious shenanigans that are going on. So the Doctor looks like he disappeared in the... Uh, in the gap between, uh, you know, the ship and the ship and the ship, but uh, he's okay, so that's fine. Um, and oh yes, and Della's sort of helping out because, of course, the mandrels have been been a little bit on the yeah. So the the the, the ship itself is has got these sort of marauding monsters. Um, and and yeah, there are a few things that sort of go go wrong in this episode and it's, it's odd because you know, I don't really th think that much about about Della she's not terribly exciting but I don't think she does anything particularly wrong um, I wish she'd give us an interview though come on Jennifer Lonsdale uh, as I say I think she's yeah she's some dignitary's wife now think she's I think she's posh um but that's all right Tracy Louise Ward from Time Lash is posh lots of posh people have passed through Doc 2 nothing wrong with being posh uh doesn't mean you don't have to talk about your, your days I'm sure she's got better things to do than talk to people about Nightmare of Eden it would just be nice but partially because so much of it is shrouded in mystery as to you know we, we, we it's not I mean you know, I know a couple of people have talked about um, Tom Baker and Alan Bromley, you know, not being simpatico, but not enough contributors have really sort of given testimony that we've that we've got a picture that quite satisfies me, I, I would say. So this is interesting. So we're in episode four uh, and, and solving Fidella, solving the mystery of Stott, because, of course, she loves him. But this is... This is an odd way to begin the climactic episode where you've had a big bit of dialogue between Fisk and Dimond and then a big bit of dialogue between Romana and uh, Della and the and and Tom Baker's 
doing what he likes best, which is have, not having to talk to anybody by himself and occasionally leer at the camera. Um, uh, and is that called an intuculaser? Ah. So yeah, so I do. I quite like Dimon's silvery suit, um, but yeah, the doctor's sort of hiding. Uh, sort of in plain sight there no that's okay that's okay uh, some of the lighting here is nice this 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 set is nice and dark the uh the jungle set of eden is nice and dark because of course i've got to um ah so so right so what dibbon's done there is he's he, he hasn't resisted being able to uh, uh and a very good response from the doctor there who's you know obviously a very dour and dismissive about the profits of human suffering but uh, he only knows about that because Dimon's basically gone before I do I'll just I'll just go check how much money I'm going to make out of this <laughs> and leave it on the computer um uh, to, to 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 show my complicity uh in the, in yeah uh that that was rather a convenient action oh and the doctor does he sort of hides in the shuttle doesn't he um where only somebody that, that is really confident that they're not being followed. Um, I, th I think it's a, yeah, it's because it's not the biggest of shuttles. And uh, yeah, the, the doctor's pretty close. Um, yeah, okay, can I, I can, yeah, I, I can sort of see, it's interesting because this, as I say, I came into this. Um, going, I know it's got a bad reputation, but I rather like it. And then watching the first three episodes, I, I have had a sleep or two in between episodes one and three and episode four. But it's curious that this is the last episode and it's been a bit talky and uh, a bit clunky. Uh, and there seems to be a, a higher... Uh, higher number of things to forgive in this episode than 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 previously now that might just be my change in uh mood between episodes three and four because i was I, I was loving it but it seems to have slowed a little bit um maybe maybe you know maybe things because they did they weren't because they'll they'll have done it by s set, won't they? Rather than, but I assume Alan Bromley, because Alan Bromley didn't didn't I don't think uh, missed missed out on too uh, too much of the production, um, but of but things get a bit frayed because Jeffrey Hinsliff, when he's talking to Trist calls him Fisk which is his own name and they don't go again uh, which is a, a sort of sign of of, uh, of, a, of a bit of a strain on the time if nothing else you go well just carry on Every, people always call other people by their own name <laughs> but I mean that's unthinkable now isn't it um but yeah, I want to see some mandrels killing some passengers, uh, and and that hasn't happened yet. Um, 
But I've got to think of two. So, but I've got to think of a, a favourite thing from this episode and a bonus favourite thing, which doesn't necessarily have to be from this episode. Uh, and I was I was hoping to save, you know, the the idea of 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 the planets on the uh, on the CET machine. But I th I think Derek has sort of claimed that. Um, so I got to find a couple. Of th Yay! The doctor's back. Oh, uh, now <laughs> I love it when K nine shoots people. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it's just a big childhood memory of mine. It's all very slow though, isn't it? Um, just in terms of the the pacing and the staging. Although here's a nice wheeze. This actor is called Eden Phillips. Uh, so do you think? Do you think there was a casting call went out and he just went, "Well, I'm going to tell, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to write in and go, look, come on, I won't be a nightmare, and if it's called Nightmare of Eden, you've got to give me the job. I don't know anything about him. Um, as I say, we probably did look when we were doing the DVD commentary because um, I know we were looking for mandrels because um, we tried one of them is called Jan Merzanovsky, who was a uh, who was also in uh, the the Quatermass, the final Quatermass series, who we worked at, must have been very old by that point. And I think we found his son. I don't know if we got as far as him. Um, for some reason, we didn't. I didn't know about Rob Rob Goodman at that point, um, who's who's had a brilliant career as an actor, but was also a prolific extra. But sometimes, and I only know Rob because he knows uh, another comedian called Andrew O'Neill, and they're they've all into magic and all that. Um, so Andrew put me in touch with with Rob. Um, but this was this was way after we we'd done the DVD for this, and then Rob got cast in Listen after I'd interviewed him about being a mandrel amongst other things, um, and he's been he's, he's had great parts in all sorts. Rob, he's been in uh, Ripper Street and uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, after he made the decision to stop being extra and and you know just do featured acting work, uh, and he made the transi transition, which is. Not as easy as you would think. So Eden Phillips has now been killed. Uh, as I said, I don't know anything about him. They're very frayed, aren't they, the, the mandrels? Although I do like, I do like the costumes. Um, the, 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 the faces and the eyes and everything. Uh, yeah, so, so Trist now gets a bit cocky, doesn't he? I'm right behind him, yeah. I'm the bad guy now, in case you hadn't noticed before. Um, and this... This kind of works now because, you know, uh, the Doctor... Uh, the, you know, the... the, oh, the though again, that was quite slow, wasn't it? Everyone's pointing and stop, shout, stop. It's a bit... It's just a bit chuggy. Um, uh, but... Uh, Plot-wise, it's it's working because the, the baddies are doing their thing, but the customs guys think the doctor is the baddie. The mandrels are marauding, so uh, the, the 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 baddies are able to be getting away with their stuff. It's 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 neatly it's neatly plotted. If the pacing, as I say, is a is a little off. I I I now I, I like uh, Trist's attempt to to justify and actually. 
uh, he, he, you know, he's talking about stopping a species becoming extinct. And she says, I think a few million people becoming extinct is worse. But actually, it, well, that, de that, that depends because the people, it's not about the whole of humanity. Extinct means, um, you know, wiped out completely. So people dying of racks isn't wiping out the population, whereas he's talking about conserving, you know, unique creatures and specimens. So in a, in a way, um, the way that Della phrased that, I would say, is unfortunate. I See, I love that, a, a bit of a laser gun and a shooting of a panel. Um, I... I but but unfortunately, the limitations of drawing a laser onto existing action work here, where Della is shot in the neck and clutches her stomach. <laughs> because it's actually, you don't see, because angles look very different depending on, on, on where you are. So they were sort of slightly scuppered by that. Um, but I did like the one that Trist, uh, that Trist shot the panel with. Um, and, and K9 there has a, another laser beam um yeah it's it's a high laser beam quotient and i think there's a few in horns of nymon as well uh she's she's wounded after being shot in the face um because that was the only place he could hit her um you can see why in, in some stories instead they just go for a gun that lights up at the end because then you don't have to to rationalize the direction the actor is pointing and and uh, 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 and the camera angle and all sorts of things because you have to line up, you know, a number of a number of different things to get them right. Um, it's handsome, isn't he, Barry? Uh, Barry Andrews. <laughs> I do like the way that Tom Baker's doctor just sort of wanders into places with supreme confidence, usually to then be disappointed. And he is a bit wayward, and there's going to be rather a famous wayward moment uh, coming later. But, uh, I mean, this is the Doctor that I grew up with, and I didn't, I didn't notice he was misbehaving. Um, and, uh, you know, what? You, it's a payoff, isn't it? You you get a, a a mercurial unpredictable actor. Sometimes he's going to behave unpredictably, and when he's on song, he is so good, and he's so naturally good. He's so naturally the Doctor. Um, yeah, it's, uh, they're funny, aren't they? The mandrels. What do we like them? I think those faces are fantastic. Um, it's just the lack of bendy arms. The fact that the, you can see they're coming apart at the seams and the fact that they've got flared legs. But other than that, what have the mandrels ever done to you? Um, and, and I like the sort of space setting and the amount of the, the back and forth between the spaceships and all of that sort of thing. Because um, that's something Doctor Who often forgot to do for periods of being a sort of you know set in space um because it's so fond of being on earth and for all the reasons that we know and it does good historical drama in 20th century earth with the yeti on the loo in tooting beck but i you know it's 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 fun to go to a spaceship and uh you know uh <laughs> that i mean that 
yeah oh and of course he uh yeah he does the dog whistle thing which is only a thing i knew about because of doctor who the the, the dog whistle that's how i learned about that i walk my dog in the park somebody's got a dog whistle um i like the mandrel noises i love the green glowy eyes um the doctor is a sort of pied piper um and, and 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 I sort of like the way that the that the mandrels are compliant, you know. Uh, and, and until he stops whistling, and then they turn savage again. And 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 now this bit is. Um, so let's talk about the jungle because we like the jungle. I think that's a, a a neat set and the and the visual of the the, you know, the jungle, in the lounge of a spaceship is a fantastic, beautiful piece of Doctor Who incongruity. Um, but uh, this, one wonders if it was something like this that, you know, Alan Bromley might have said, are you sure about this, Tom? And Tom Baker, well, I'm an alien, I'm a time lord from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Custerberus. We always say, ooh, my arms, ooh, my legs, ooh, my everything. Um, uh, wouldn't it be witty if I came on with the arms of my jacket torn in half? Um, <laughs> I mean that's the the comic timing of of him looking sort of slightly <laughs> frazzled and torn apart, but you know having succeeded, and then the monster coming and him pegging it is very very funny. I think it's the delivery of the "Ooh, my arms, my legs, my everything," and the "Oh, oh," is is that's I think an actor um, with nobody reining him in. Uh, and the screwdriver gag is very, very funny. Um, but the problem is that, you see, I think gags like that work better if everything else around you is deadly serious because you've just had the bit where Tom Baker has has been, um, uh, you know, skirting with uh, um, an offence contrary to the act acting, <laughs> the actor's code um, to then have the screwdriver gag after that. It's it's. I think the screwdriver gag would have benefited more from from coming in a uh, not coming off the back of something very very silly but it's still a very good joke <laughs> um although i do take the point that um romana and the doctor you know people who 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 aren't fan of fans of the sort of um sort of the intellectual cambridge too clever by half uh uh feel that that perhaps you have if you've got douglas adams and uh tom baker and Dalla ward um uh, you, you know all mi all mixed together but i uh i th i think it i think it works i i i i i think you can be a, a bit too clever for your own good if you travel through space and time saving the universe and know loads of stuff uh, it's uh, uh, and they are very very funny um i'm going to say hecate it's hecate i'm going to say hecate okay um and, and and he's you know he's he's in full villain mode now lewis fyander having sort of been playing i'm a bit dotty scientist is now going now nah, i'm the villain so there um but it's i like the way that the ce machine is used as 
the solution to the escaping villains. So that's nicely plotted and brings it all back together. Um, and this, that shifting video effect is very, very good. Um, you know, very, very simple. Ah, uh, yes, he is hoist by his own petard. Uh, and, and of course, it's good because, um, uh, you know, Fisk comes in all critical. And so he gets a sort of comeuppance because he's never trusted the Doctor and he's been a bit of a burke throughout. But in delivering his quarry to him, the Doctor sort of, sort of defeats him in a way that, uh, you know, at least, you know, in terms of finding the solution and 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 pricking pricking his pomposity a little bit um so uh, and that's yeah that's a great and this this i think i mean i i i'm i'm anticipating that this is going to be one of my my choices uh is tom baker for all his silliness uh is brilliant here um not even looking at him Go away. Yeah. Great. Love it. Uh, you know, that's for, for all the messing about, you know, when we're talking about international intergalactic drug dealing and, and you know, the very real dangers of drugs, which, you know, and, and, and I sort of like the way that this never gets finger waggy, oh, don't do drugs, kids, but it does do a kind of, uh, you know the, the the scale of destruction that can be wrought by these things uh you know is 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 enormous with um without it ever seeming sort of preachy or or like adults sometimes you know a thing made by adults that's got a message that is particularly relevant to kids or teenagers can sometimes seem a bit like the geography teacher dancing at the school disco and trying to you know trying to trying to explain stuff to the kids on their level it doesn't even actually bother to do that it it, it takes it up a level um you know it doesn't even try and i think today if you did that you'd maybe have a teenage character or whatever who 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 becomes um you know hooked on the vrax or something or who who becomes involved in the smuggling and in order to sort of say oh teenagers this is relevant to you this is just this this i think rather sensibly um sort of ascends above that slightly interesting i i i was struggling a bit at the top i am a bit tired i almost didn't do this tonight but i i i'd enjoyed it so much the other night that uh i thought come on let's get the rest of uh rest of nightmare of eden out of the way but i was i was a little bit tired roger can yeah we never we, never, we didn't get the designer either and a and a rupert uh rupert jarvis the costume designer uh, is no longer with us um but i don't know if he was i, d I don't know if he had, had died by when we did the, the the commentary or or whether he was another one who just didn't want to talk to us uh, uh about it um but i don't think we didn't get the impression it was all related to the fact that it had been a struggling production and that nobody wanted to say anything because they wanted to spare alan bromley's blushes or tom baker's blushes or whatever it, it was just more a coincidence of lots of people with a with a reason not to want to do it that was was actually nothing to do with that as i say rob rob goodman when i did interview him didn't even know that the director had walked off um so anyway 
Yeah, so I struggled with that a bit at the beginning because the, the I, I don't know it just didn't seem having having got, built a quite a lovely climax at the end of episode three. It, it then, yeah, it then it's it's gears sort of stuck a bit at the top. But I still think it's a great story. I think it's a really uh, interesting story. I, I I think some of the attempts at humor really work. The odd one doesn't. I think actually considering it was a troubled production. It only sort of frays at the edges really in in episode four, depending, I suppose, on what, how, how well disposed you are towards towards the mandrels, who I think look OK, uh, who I think look OK. Um, uh, so one of my well, my thing for episode four is Tom Baker's reaction to Trist when Trist tries to justify drug smuggling and Doctor Who just goes, I'm not even going to look at you. Uh, and, uh, my other thing is, I think, going to be the, the, the jungle because that encapsulates some nice lighting. I was going to say the lighting because some of the, some of the shadowier parts of the, the spaceships are nicely lit as well, but actually a lot of the, the corridor stuff and the, the main bridge stuff is, is, is you know fairly Doctor Who one hundred and one or whatever, um, but but I think the jungle because you have that thing of the, the 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 jungle set in the spaceship lounge, which is a which is a beautiful piece of Doctor Who incongruity and um, uh, you know taking taking two fairly straightforward things and smashing them together and therefore making them really interesting, but also sort of quite quaint as well. Um, but also it's a decent set. Uh, considering they didn't look to have much space with it, and the lighting in it was 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 very very nice. So so yeah, the the jungle Eden Eden uh, Eden itself. So I wonder what my friend Derek, uh, who's been a very polite and game contributor, and I'm pleased because he's a as I say he's really a Star Trek fan, but uh, he, he he clearly knows enough about Doctor Who. And the fourth thing I like about this serial was the end, when the bad guys were caught and they tried to get the doctor to support them by justifying that they were smuggling these drugs in order to fund their scientific research. And he wouldn't even look at them. He just simply says, go away, go away. After overplaying the character throughout the four chapters at the end here he's just not giving them anything tom baker is just chilling and it chills me now just thinking about it and that is overall really what i liked about this years before just say no became prevalent in the cultural zeitgeist we had an uncompromising mature story against drugs you had Nothing. You know, there was nothing to sort of justify. You know, this was simply no. This is wrong. I don't care what you were doing it for. I don't care who's. You know, no matter what you could say about you know the people that, that were choosing to do this. No, this is it. It's wrong. It was such a bold, strong, unimpeachable message, really, and that's what I really enjoyed about it. Watching it now, again after so many years, yes, the effects were bad. Yes, the direction was a bit shoddy. The costumes were laughable. Uh, but still, 
if you can ignore all of that and just even just listen to it, it is an amazing story. And it is it is something that, that's worth rewatching or at least listening to. Listen, thanks again for this, Toby. I do appreciate this. Bye-bye. Oh, I don't need to appreciate it, Derek. You've done me a favour, and I think... And it's 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 very nice. I was very keen um, to get a... As I say, no, I, I'm, there will be American people on this podcast because I've got friends over in, in the States, but this is an, a, an American who, who has lived over here for, for, for a long time. So an, a, 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 somebody who has you know who was introduced to this you know f- from a foreign culture but a culture that he came to understand and and, and be a part of because he's lived here for years now so i thought that was a really interesting perspective so i wasn't sure which one he'd choose in the first place uh and then i like the fact that he chose this um and so i mean i'm i did the drugs thing but i didn't do the anti-drugs thing because it was more the concept and the, f- the fact that it was tied up with the mandrels although i did mention the anti-drugs thing and how effective i thought it was i didn't i don't think I, that counts that i chose it so that was his overall thing so he chose the same thing as me for episode four but his overall thing even though i alluded to it and i and i and i sort of touched on it in episode three i don't think that really counts so I haven't won again. So I think Derek, if he wants, is legally um, allowed to have me killed. Um, so there we go. So uh, <laughs> that's what happens when you're doubling drugs, kids. Uh, you, you get into all sorts of trouble. So I'm I'm sorry if I, I think I started this commentary a little tired and also a little... I was sort of waiting for the episode to, to kick in and to get pointing out things that were were wrong with it but i do overall I, and 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 derek was a very uh, eloquent advocate and I, and i think he's right um and i know this is um a story that is seen as being a, 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 a sort of you know fag end of, of of tom baker's era before the the slightly late um uh burgundy flowering of of the slightly anomalous season 18 where he's sort of clearly on his way out, but um, and and you know takes a slight change in direction from you know the ascendance into 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 lunacy that 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 occurs between season sixteen and seventeen, where you know he does get you know critics of Tom Baker, um, you know I think can fairly point out that he does he does sometimes push it a little bit too far, and this story is one of those occasions with the oh my that that was the oh my arms oh my legs oh my everything was not going to be a favorite moment that i chose and yet the go away is as good as anything any doctor does anywhere ever um so you know do you want that uh, for those listening rather than watching i'm moving my hand in a straight line or do you want that i'm indicating highs and lows it depends whether you want a roller coaster. Oh, well, I suppose Tom Baker is a bit like a drug, isn't he? He's, you know, when you get high, you get really, really high, and then when you get low, it's, it's, it's you get you can get quite low. Um, you know, he's he's he is Doctor Who. He's brilliant. He's a really good actor. He's a colossal intelligence, um, but occasionally he t- tries jokes that are ill-advised. <laughs> and you know what? The only way you know what jokes work is is 
as a stand-up, my goodness, you sometimes have to throw stuff out there and stuff that seems like such a good idea, as soon as you say it out loud, you go, and the audience let you know it wasn't a good idea. You go, I knew that wasn't a good idea, but you didn't know it until you'd done it. <laughs> but then when you've done it, it feels like you knew it all your life and what the hell did you say it for? <laughs> um, and I don't know, it's a comforting, it, it looks comfortable to me. It looks like the Doctor Who I grew up with because it is. Um, so look, I hope that was, uh, that was it. That was interesting for you. As I said, so I'm a little, uh, little tired. I'll go and have a little pick me up. And no, no, I won't because drugs are bad. So, um, uh, if anyone asks you to do any between now and the next happy times and places, ju just say no. Uh, <laughs> uh, right. Um, I'm going to go to bed now. Uh, don't have nightmares on or off anywhere thanks for listening goodbye well thank you ever so much for listening to happy times and places which is presented by me toby haydoke my special guest this time around is derek o'brien whose star trek multiverse prolific work can be found at uss shorefoot.blogspot.com do check that out i'm very very grateful to derek and to the patrons of this podcast who include James Blackett, Robin Bland, Kyle Bores, David Brody, Nigel Bromley, Hugh Buchtman, Anthony Carroll, Anthony Carroll, Bill Chapman, Ralph Chilton, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, Mark Clues, Graham Cooley, Charles Coppin, Simon Coling, Paul Cornaghi, Martin Cook, Matt Corner, Paul Cornell, Leslie Coots, Peter Crocker, Philip Craggs, Lee Kremin, Dave Curran, Paul Philip Dahlgren, Matt Dale, Rob Dawson, Chris Davis, Hugh Davis, Robert Davis, and on that three Davises, I'll say the music was by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. I'd be grateful if you would join their number if you went to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock for as little as £3 a month. You can get advance releases, bonus material and a bit of extra interaction. It's fairly egalitarian. The uh, Most of the stuff is available at the lowest tier, which is the £3 a month, and you can actually get 10% off that and indeed every tier if you sign up for a year. If you just want to do a one-off uh, donation, you can do that too at kofi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. But look, I know times are tough. I am just very grateful to you for listening. If you could spread the word, that would help if you have Doctor Who fan friends who are unaware of this stuff. And you could make the internet even more aware too by going to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and giving these a five-star, five-star ratings really, really help. And the odd line of review too to separate these from the very crowded dance floor uh, where all the Doctor Who-related podcasts are, are jigging about, vying for the attention of passing um, Doctor Who fans. I was going to say I was going to say anarchist, anarchists. No, I wasn't. I was going to say anoraks because I'm very self-deprecating. But that could then sound like I was insulting Doctor Who fans. Uh, you, you know, you lot, which I'm not. Any insult uh, aimed at a Doctor Who fan uh, is, is purely me looking in the mirror. And I'm sure the rest of you are perfectly straightforward people who are very well turned out and not uh, over keen on having things done in exactly a certain way and being very cross if they're not. That's just me. No other Doctor Who fan is like that. Um, so when I make jokes of that kind, it's it's purely... Purely me I'm having a go at, and you're quite normal. Unless you cross now, in which case that's the point. 
been rude, please can you follow me on Twitter at Toby Haydock. These podcasts at Haydock Podcasts. My comedy club at Excess Malarkey. That's every Tuesday in Manchester. Why don't you come along to that? I can insult, it's like insult everybody a bit more. Uh, or it's on uh, line on twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey on the first Sunday of every month. I love you all. I love anoraks. I, I actually love an anorak because they're lightweight, so they're not too hot and stuffy. Uh, and they're waterproof, so they stop you getting wet. What's wrong with an anorak? You're just describing an article of clothing worn by actually very sensible people who who have to find love in different ways. And you, yeah.